Hi, my name is Nicole Faye Golden, and I'm the host of Scar Stories Podcast. We all walk through seasons of brokenness, and it's so easy to buy into the lies that we're alone, forgotten, weak, and too far gone. But here's what I want you to know. We all have scars, and so we all have stories. I'm really hoping these interviews resonate with you and that you walk away knowing that you aren't alone, you're never forgotten, you are strong enough, and there are always second chances. Thanks so much for tuning in, and welcome to Scar Stories. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Scar Stories. I'm your host, Nicole Golden, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. If you are wondering why I sound nasally, it is because I am nasally because I've been battling a cold. Um, I know it's so hard these days to like, I feel like colds have so much stigma now because is it cold or COVID? But it's a cold, um, but we are on Zoom, so we're all safe. But if I pop a cough drop or if I have to blow my nose, pardon all of the crazy sounds. Um, I have a new friend with me on the podcast, Kirsten Penachida. And um, now I'm like all in my head. Kirsten, I said that correctly. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> it's spelled K-I-R-S-T-N. So those of you who spell your name that way, I'm so sorry because there's Kirsten, Kirsten, so many different ways to pronounce it. But yeah. she wrote the book Among Lions, um, which was written mainly to parents who are parenting children with mental illness. And so I'm really excited about this conversation because right now, even personally, I have so many friends who um, are loving on kids who are really struggling. And, you know, I think this has been an issue for years, but then I think, especially over the past two or three years, you know, we all have trauma, right? Every single one of us has trauma. Some of it's bigger than others, but we all have trauma. And then we just went through, I think we're still going through, um, two crazy years that then kind of put trauma on top of trauma. And I think for our students, especially our, our, our middle schoolers, our high schoolers, their brains aren't fully developed. And I think they're just feeling overwhelmed. And so we're just really seeing an epidemic now at that age with mental health and mental illness issues. So Kirsten, we're so excited to have you on the podcast today. This is going to be fun. It is great to be here. And between your cold and my fat lip, we'll, we'll yeah. muddle through. <laughs> I know. What did you say you did? You bit it or something? I, I fell down and I just bit it really hard this morning. So I'm kind of bad about <laughs> Yeah, like right before. Listen, we're not supposed to fall as adults because it becomes like lasting injuries, right? Like, yeah. Like yes. we didn't care when we were kids, but as adults, we, we, we hurt ourselves. <laughs> yes, we're not meant to be falling and everything like that. So, all right, well, let's jump right into this. Um, and don't worry, a lot of people just listen to it on podcast handles, so they won't even know of your phallus. And I can't even see it from here. So everyone's going to be like zooming in now, you know. <laughs> I was very careful with the list. <laughs> so Kirsten, share your story with us. Why did you write Among Lions? Give us a little bit of background. So once I start asking questions, people have some um, you know, background knowledge of where these questions are coming from. They've got some context. So tell us a little bit about your story and why you chose to write the book. Sure. Well, we are a very typical middle-class family. Um, I live with, in central New York with my husband and um, I have two sons. And when my younger son, Nicholas, was about 14, he started going through this mood change and we were we thought it was fine you know we, we'd had an older son who also went through a rocky couple months when he was 14 and we're like oh look it's that it's that roller coaster that teenage boy roller coaster he'll be fine four or five months he'll be moody he'll talk back but then we'll you know get back on track yeah. 
But for Nicholas, it wasn't a roller coaster. It was really mm. a spiral downward. Mm. Um, and it, he, he had a very deep depression and to mm. kind of condense the story, it lasted for three years and it was very difficult to treat and was, um, you know, he was very suicidal almost all the time. He, mm. he was struggling with those thoughts. He was practicing self-harm. Mm. Um, he, you know, he had eating struggles, um, you know, disordered eating. And we really just did not see that coming for him. Yeah. We had no idea. And it just, for us, it has hit us out of the blue. And I think right now for a lot of parents, that's, that's happening to them with their teenagers, especially like you mentioned with the pandemic and all the stresses that have um, come along with that. But the book is not about how to take care of your teenager because um, I'm not a mental health professional. That's not my, my thing, but what it is, it's about, it's, it's for parents who need to know that while they're going through this very devastating thing with their child, they need to know that their soul is going to survive mm-hmm. in some way that, that Who's they can soul? come the out. Parents or the parents or the child's? Parents parents mm. soul because mm. my question I mean I had all the questions right I yeah had, sure is my son gonna be okay is you know is my is he gonna ever reach stability is he you know can we find the right treatment for him can we um all the things but underneath all that there was a real fear for myself I was afraid that I was never gonna be okay myself again that this was so shattering yeah that I was going to be shattered forever how could I ever put these pieces back together was my was my marriage going to survive what you know was my faith going to survive you know was I I just couldn't picture how life could be good mm-hmm. again mm-hmm. because it was so shattering for us um and so what I learned is that yes I can be okay mm-hmm. no matter what happens but I I, I was entered this world that I never wanted yep. to. I didn't sign up for that trip. Um, and I discovered that there are a lot of parents that are in that same boat. Um, you know, well, their kids might be struggling with different things than my yeah. kid, but. And that's interesting you say that because I have a really good friend who's walking through um, some pretty severe mental illnesses with her son. And she stopped me the other day and, and she was like, you know, my friend just texted me and said, you know, their child is now going through all of this as well. And she was like, she said her words to me were like, I just can't get away from it. It's everywhere now. And it was almost like she said, she's like, now that my eyes have been open, she's like, I think it's always been everywhere, but my eyes weren't open to it. And now that my eyes are open to it, it's like, I can't escape it, you know? And is that a little bit how you felt, right. you know, like, oh my gosh. It, yeah, like what is going on in our world? I had no idea there was so much pain, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I will say for, for us, it was, um, I mean, Nicholas is a little different than a lot of teens in that he has always been very transparent and open about his mental health journey. Okay. And I, I always try to say that up front in an interview because I want people to know that he gives permission for us to talk about his story, no matter what, you know, anything that we want to say, we can. Um, and that's important to, for people to know that we respect, you know, that. And um, so brave of him and 
almost makes me emotional just that he'd, you know, cause as someone who talks about, you know, my own personal story, I know the courage that it takes to share that. Yeah. But I also know, you know, the number of people he's going to be able to impact and the number of people he's going to impact through you as you tell your story, you know? And right. so like Nicholas, if it's you ever really, listen to this, thank really you. Yeah, yeah, it's a gift. It, it is because um, it was a gift to me because I was able to reach out to people and mm. ask for support and I didn't have to be, you know, cagey about it at all. But so it's he also gave you permission as soon as he started struggling. Always. Wow. Always. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, but it also, because I would ask for prayer or people knew what was going on in our family, other parents who were going through it in their family could come to me and talk to me mm, about it. Mm. Um, even if they couldn't go to the wider community for whatever reason, because mm. they, they felt, you know, that they needed to keep it quiet or because their child wanted them to be private. Um, but I was somebody that could be a resource. And so mm. I started getting a lot of stories mm. from other parents and, um, you know, sitting over coffee with so many parents mm. and, and, um, and that was, you know, that's really why I wrote the book because yeah. I thought I have this gift from Nicholas that I can share our story. And there are so many parents mm. who are just hurting. They're just really, you know, devastated. Yeah. So, so that was sort of the story of how it came about. So I want to backtrack just a little bit. I've been writing notes as you've been talking. Um, and so I, I want to just take a quick second here because um, you know, mental health, mental illness has had such stigma for the longest time. And I really feel like, you know, we're beginning to make inroads into ending that stigma. Um, but I still feel like the stigma hangs so heavy over men and teenage boys and things like that. And one of the things you said is he was battling with self-harm and disordered eating, which I think is very interesting because that's, um, I have a scar stories with Shelby Groot. Um, it was one of the first ones I ever did. Um, about her journey with um, an eating disorder. And one of the things we talked about was the fact that like men and boys, like it's becoming more and more common for the male population to struggle with disordered eating. A lot of times we thought it was just a female thing. Um, right. And so um, I just think that's very interesting. Was there, you know, for some of us, there's trauma that causes the mental health issues, the mental illness for me, that was a lot of it, it was also somewhat generational anxiety, depression, those sorts of things have run in my family for a very long time. So it was a perfect storm for me. Was there a trauma? Was there hormonal changes? Because it was in middle school when all this is going on. Um, what, you know, did you guys find a cause? Or was it one of those things that you just kind of like, okay, this is just kind of a transition in his life that we're walking through? Um, we spent a lot of time, probably more time than we should have trying to find the reason. Mm. Why did this happen? Mm. Um, Nicholas, I mean, of course, with those kinds of symptoms, the first thing our minds jumped to was trauma or abuse yeah. in his yeah. past. And so, you know, it was kind of awful. You know, I would lie awake at night yeah. and think about every camp counselor or Sunday school teacher, you know. Um, but he has always said there was nothing. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, and I believe him. And um, so as far as we know, it was not triggered by trauma. He mm. has, his diagnosis is bipolar disorder too. Okay. Um, 
we have since discovered that there is there are other relatives that have mental illness like one of those things like kind of wish you'd told us ahead yeah. of time. <laughs> that would have been a really great conversation to have years ago thank you that yeah. would have that would have been helpful um so you know we don't we don't think that um we don't think it was circumstantial it really did feel like it came out of the blue into yeah. a perfectly happy life, you know, um, not perfectly happy, but you know, Oh, we got, um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, he had a seizure disorder as a younger child that he outgrew. We don't know if it's related. Hmm. So no, there, we don't have a reason. Yeah. Um, was that hard? You just said a little bit, you'd lie awake. I mean, sometimes I feel like, I don't know, do you think it would have been easier to have a reason like, okay, this is why, and maybe we can like, get to the bottom of this now, you know, or was it a relief at if there the wasn't time, a reason? At the time I did have the sense, and I know my husband really had the sense that if we could figure out why, then we could figure out how to fix it. Mm-hmm. Now we know that that's, that that's not even necessarily the truth. It Getting a diagnosis, getting the right um, medication combination, treatment, all that is, is tricky, even if you know exactly yep. why, <laughs> you yep. know? Yeah. Um, so, but you know, it was something that we kind of told, it felt like it would be comforting to know. Yeah. But I look back now, I'm like, really would I have wanted to have found out something? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. What was I thinking, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, but it, it is, I mean, that is such a typical question for parents mm-hmm. to, you know, what is it, what caused, and of course, you know, um, the guilt and the self-shame. Was oh, it because yeah. I yelled at him a lot when he was little? Was it because I let him cry it out in his crib? Was it because, you know, all these, the, you know, the, the med- I, I was on bed rest for months when I was pregnant with mm. him. Was it the medication I took, you know? Yeah. Oh, all yeah. All these things. But parents do that to themselves. And that's, you know, that's one of the things that can attack a parent when they are dealing with this because um, you want so much to know to know how to fix it. And so you think you need to know why. Um, Well, and it's so funny you say that because, you know, my brother committed suicide two years ago and there was a season where I was just blaming myself for it. You know, Um, I, you know, I didn't call enough. I should have flown out there. You know, how did I not see the signs? Um, He tried to call me once and apologize and I was annoyed with him, you know, like all of these different things. And I remember sitting with my therapist and him just saying, you know, your subconscious, the suicide made no sense, you know, just like this, this out of the blue mental illness made no sense. And so your subconscious wants to make sense of, you know, the lack of sense. And so it begins to start looking at yourself and blaming yourself. And I think along the same lines, you know, you had talked in the very beginning about, you know, you wrote the book for parents and because, you know, um, they feel so alone and then it can start to become an issue in your marriage. And so um, if this question's off limits, let me know. I always tell everybody if I ask a question that's off limits, but did you and your husband go through a rocky season where, you know, you almost started pointing fingers at each other? Like, well, why didn't you do this? Or didn't, did you, or were you guys pretty much unified through the whole thing? I, if I'm being honest, I think, you know, we've got four kids. My husband and I are pastors. So our kids are going to have trauma at some point. That's just guaranteed. And so I think it would be very easy for me to begin to be like, well, you know, start pointing. You're just, you're looking for any sense of control, right? So what, what was your marriage journey like over those few years? Um, it, 
Well, it changed. And okay. I will say that, that be, in our care for Nicholas, um, my husband was just a hero. I mean, just unbelievably amazing. He's, he's very much like an engineer type brain. He, okay. you know, he does things a certain way. Um, and he really, he worked like crazy to sort of reset some of his default settings um, from, from that and from things that he grew up with in his own family. Um, you know, he learned all about the dangers of invalidation and he learned how to be, um, you know, supportive of our son and he, and he just did everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was amazing. I would not want to do this thing with anybody else. He was, yeah. he was amazing, um, for Nicholas where we had trouble in our marriage was later on, um, I really just fell apart. It, it took mm. two or three years <laughs> yeah. of that constant vigilant stress. Um, and I, I was just breaking down myself. And I mean, you were literally he, keeping him alive at times, like especially yeah. with self-harm. And I've had, had friends who have had to sleep in their kids' bedrooms to keep yeah, them alive, yeah. you know? And, yeah. and the- yeah. yeah, we we used to take turns staying up all night. Oh um, my gosh. On, on suicide watch or sleeping in front of, the door of his bedroom um so yeah so it i mean it was it was that constant and i when i say stress i don't mean oh i'm so busy i need another yeah. cup of coffee but you know it was like physical no. stress emotional stress and and it just after a while i couldn't do it anymore and dan didn't have the bandwidth for that mm. you know he he was he was such a hero for Nicholas and I wanted that for me too. Mm -hmm. And he just, I mean, he was going through the same thing I was going through, yeah. but I, I really, left. yeah, yeah. I really wanted him to be the hero for me too. And he just couldn't. And, um, and I was so angry and just dis mm. disappointed. And, um, I mean, it was very unfair. I, 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 you know, now, but I was so out of my head with this yeah. and, um, and, uh, and so that's when we really started having marriage problems. And um, we went to marriage therapy, mm. um, which was, you know, we should have done it sooner. We should have, you know, known that, that something would be coming down the line, that we would need that kind of support. But yeah. we did go and we very carefully and gently built back toward each other. Mm. Um, and, but it, it was it was hard. There was a time when I was just like, I'm so hurt by you because mm. you, I feel like I'm this puddle, this puddle on the floor and you're just walking around me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, and he was like, well, how am I supposed to feel that, you know, that you're so unhappy and, you know, cause you get, he was blaming himself, yes. but, and, and his tendency is to withdraw. I mean, it was just like a, you know, Excellent. classic. Yeah. Classic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know so we had to work that out but it, it it can be very damaging um for a marriage to to undergo that kind of stress because you know you mentioned the word we all you know we all have trauma I think that one thing that parents don't realize and that I I'm always talking to the 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 people that I, the men, the women mostly that I mentor you have to understand that when you are watching a child that you love more than life suffer like that if you are bandaging wounds on their body that they put there, if you are on suicide watch, you yourself are undergoing a trauma. Oh my that gosh, yes. Literally traumatic. Yes. And, and so you have to treat yourself like 
a trauma victim. You have to look at, you know, and so when symptoms start oozing out into your body, your hair starts falling out or you mm-hmm. get, you know, you're just sick all the time with sinus infections or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, you have to look at that and say, my body cannot take this. I need to get treatment for myself. And, you know, all the care has been focused on our children. Yeah. Of course it is. They, you know, they, they need that. But it's really important to know that each of us has this precious soul Mm. that God cares about our souls too. Mm -hmm. And that Mm -hmm. it's okay and not just okay, but appropriate and needed to care for that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's so interesting that you say, because as I'm hearing your story, like I don't, I'm sure other listeners too, like I'm just feeling as much pain as I can feel because I did not live through it, but I can just sense, you know, the pain of what you guys walk through. And first of all, you know, I think Dan is an incredible man. And I think the fact, you know, I think you explained it so beautifully. One of the things my counselor always explains, and I've talked about it on the podcast before, but we all have, you know, a, a certain amount of emotional margin. And anytime we go through stress or trauma, that emotional margin gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And so he exerted so much emotional margin, as did you to keep Nicholas alive, to get him healthy, that then, you know, now you're falling apart at the seams. And now Dan's probably thinking I couldn't help my son. Now I can't help my wife, you know, and like, we just got through this with Nicholas, everything's supposed to go back to normal. And so I think it makes total sense that he just was like, what is going on? You know? Um, and men aren't always the most empathetic either. (laughs) Um, but I think, you know, were you guys in any kind of therapy um, while Nicholas was in the midst of his, you know, really sh- dark time or did, or did you guys mainly pursue therapy for yourselves afterwards? Well, we did a lot of, <laughs> we did a lot of family therapy, okay. but it was, okay. focused, it was focused on Nicholas. Focused on him. Yeah. Um, it was on him. So we did not have individual therapy for ourselves or marriage therapy until honestly, until he was, he was at a point where he was reaching stability. We didn't know it at that time okay. because there had been other times when he looked like he was getting better and then, but yeah. he, this was actually the time when he was, we had hit on the right cocktail and so forth. One thing we did do, the three of us is we did a 20 week um, DBT, dialectical behavioral therapy program, just the three of us. People ask me about this all the time. So talk to us about this. Yeah. uh, DBT is excellent for people who, especially for people who have borderline personality disorder or who, or who have the symptoms of it. Like Nicholas does not have that diagnosis, but he, um, like he has four out of the 10 things, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so you know, right from the very beginning, we were told DBT, that's what he needs, but nobody was offering it in our, in our community. And there was a, there was a program at the hospital near us that had a wait list. And so we got on the wait list. We're okay, we'll do this. But we found out that it was not staffed this Mm. program. And so we were on that wait list for, (laughs) for two years or whatever. Um, the one thing that everybody said, oh yeah, this is, this will really help. And what eventually happened is his psychiatrist pulled in somebody for a consult one day. Mm -hmm. And she said to us, I can't even believe I'm offering this. I've never done this before, but I would be willing to offer your family the program. Wow. Just 
the private thing and our like our mouths were hanging open. Yeah, we couldn't believe yeah. that's not a um, god wink. I don't know what is. Yeah. I know, I know. So we we did that. That was hugely helpful, not just for Nicholas, but for all of us. And mm-hmm. honestly, I know it's it was developed for be for a borderline. Um but every human in the world could benefit from, from learning DBT principles. Um, so. And tell people a little bit what it is. Cause um, sure. You know, those of us who have borderline or who have, which, you know, borderline. So I got diagnosed with borderline about 11 years ago and that was when it was still fairly new. Um, it wasn't, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it was still, you know, kind of people were just starting to get the diagnosis. And and what I think a lot of people don't realize even with borderline is one out of 10 people commit suicide, like borderline's intense. Um, um, but uh, DBT has been hugely successful. Um, and I think a lot of people are like, what is it? Is it okay? And, and especially, you know, you and I are both Jesus followers. So in the Christian world, you know, even like 10 years ago, 10 or 11 years ago, personality disorders like bipolar, bipolar two, all those things, borderline, I remember those were just like, people didn't believe those even existed. People, you know, thought medication was a crutch and you're, you know, they're drugs and you're going to over-medicate someone and counseling, you know, was just an excuse to avoid sin. And if you had a mental illness, it was because there was something in your life that you were uncovering, you know, all of those wonderful things that we saddled people with when they were already really struggling. Um, So talk to us a little bit about what DBT is and why it is so helpful. When we walked into our first session of DBT, um, the therapist sat us down and she said, well, the first thing I want to tell you is there are no absolutes in DBT. Hmm. And, you know, we were like, "Uh uh-oh, because I do believe that God is an absolute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) You're like, are we um, in the right place here? Yeah. Um, However, she looked at us. She said, I know that you are, you know, you you practice your faith and you take that seriously. Um, She said, so what we're going to say is there are no absolutes in DBT. Okay. You know, I said, yeah. okay, I can, I can work with that. Yeah. Um, um, and DBT is, it, it comes in different modules. So there's always a mindfulness module that helps you just ground yourself, tap into, um, the moment. you know, where you are, what's going on in the moment. And it's, and that module spreads through all the other ones. Yeah. So mine, Mindfulness. I know you've talked about mindfulness on your yes. on your podcast many times, um, but it's just the idea of um, trying to allow your mind to be where it is mm-hmm. at the moment. Feel what you're feeling. Just sit with it mm-hmm. and not judge what's mm-hmm. going on. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you you use techniques like um, oh, you could take a Hershey's kiss and just concentrate on what that feels like and tastes like and smells like. And, yep. you know, it's just a way of gathering your brain back <laughs> together. Yes. That's yes. how I picture yes. it. You know? yes. um, the other modules are emotional regulation, mm-hmm. um, how to um, identify and then deal with whatever emotion you're coming is coming at you, mm-hmm. whatever's flowing through you at the time. Again, it has a lot to do with not judging what's happening, but just to experience it and cope with it. And I think that's so important because, and that's one thing my therapist has worked with with me over for years, you know, especially for those of us who grew up in the church, who grew up in religion, because religion um, wants to, and I'm using the broad sense of religion, because I think this is really any, whatever religious background you may have, religion wants to make everything black and white, good and bad, you Mm -hmm. know? 
um, this emotion is good. This emotion is bad. This, you know, remember back in the day, the thought life stuff, this thought is good. This thought is bad, you know? And so then when we're feeling something that's quote unquote bad, not only are we feeling that emotion, but now we're feeling the guilt and shame of having that emotion. Yeah. And we're spiraling even more. And so there's something so important about understanding emotions, thoughts. They're just that they're just emotions and they're just thoughts and taking away the pressure of it's good. It's bad. It's shameful. It's good. You know, getting rid of those so that, right. You said you can just kind of focus on what's coming at you, focus on one thing at a time and not get overwhelmed. It's so powerful. Okay. Keep going. Yeah. Well, the, you know, it's called dialectical. So a dialect is when two things exist together at the same Mm -hmm. time. Um, So um, in, in dialectical behavioral therapy, you say, um, I am angry and Mm -hmm. I am going to sit through this emotion and see what it has to teach me. Mm -hmm. So it's always this and that it's not this, but that ever. That's yep. the difference. It's always the, the conjunction is always and, you know, and I've been, um, I have been noticing just, this is sort of a personal aside. You know, I, I, I read the Bible in the morning and I write in my journal. And yeah. one thing that I've been no- noticing is the dialects um, mm. in the character of God, for example, you know, the, the Psalms say God is our strength and mm. our shield. Mm. And I thought, you know what? He is the strength for the things that you need to walk through. I love and he that. is the shield for the things that you're not meant to walk through. Yeah. Yeah. He's this and that, you know? Mm. Um, that. So I've, I've been looking at that. So, um, and you know, I truly believe that all real wisdom is God's wisdom. Yeah. So when I approach DBT and the the skills that it teaches and the mindset that it teaches, I find those things in the scriptures. Yes. Um, yes. You know, so, so I, yes. I would say that to, to Christians who are a little wary, yep. um, search your Bible and see yeah. what it, you know, what it says about these things. It's so funny because I've talked about this before, but I think that is, you know, my husband and I hold to that, like all truth is God's truth. And you know, I think it's beginning to change, but so often Christians are so afraid of psychology, psychology, psychiatry, you know, um, and I don't know if it's because they immediately just go to Freud, you know, I don't know what it is, but it's like, they've thrown the baby out with the bathwater. Like God created our minds. God created our emotions. God created all those things. So the study of those and the study of, you know, why our bodies react the way they react and all those things, like that's all from Jesus, you know? And you know, years ago, I I remember someone got upset with me for using words like diagnosis. And, you know, she was like, you're taking the responsibility away from yourself. And, you know, now that I think about it, it's like kind of offensive. Like you think I did this to myself? Like you think I gave myself borderline? You know what I'm saying? Like, like I chose that for myself, you know, but it was still, you know, she was coming from her background of, well, yeah, you chose your way into it, which Okay. Yes. You know, I, and I just wrote a blog about it today about reframing our past. Like, yes, I, I guess I did choose, you know, with a personality disorder, you're reacting to scary events, you're reacting to trauma, you know, or it's biological. It's been passed to you. Like in your son's case, you know, as you guys are beginning to figure that out for me, it was, I was in dangerous environments and I had to learn coping mechanisms that yes, for the rest of my life, those are not okay to have. But in that season, they kept me alive and got me to a place where I could then realize, okay, I can't live this way my whole life. I've got to unlearn these things and relearn these things. So 
Um, I love talking mental health with people. Um, and especially Jesus followers like you that get it, you know, it's, it's the scriptures. It's what Jesus has done for us. And these other things from the medical field, just like you wouldn't go to your doctor and your doctor would say you have bronchitis. And it's like, okay, show me in the scriptures where it says bronchitis is real. And where it says, it's okay for me to take medication for bronchitis. You know what I'm saying? It's like, we wouldn't do that with anything else. So I'm not sure why this has become such a thing, but that's another. Why did you name your book Among Lions? I, I've been so intrigued by this. Why is it entitled Among Lions? It comes from Psalm 57. Hmm. And Psalm 57 says um, in, I think it's verse four, my soul is among lions. Hmm. I must lie down amongst those who breathe forth fire. Hmm. Um and, you know, the whole psalm is a prayer to God. It says, be gracious to me until destruction passes by. Mm. And then it, it has this picture of a person who is surrounded by beasts, hmm. you know, lions, dragons, you know, in, in another section of the psalm, it's, you know, wild dogs surrounded. And, but it says, I must lie down hmm. amongst them. Hmm. And so you know, when we were really in the thick of it, it did feel like I was being attacked. My soul was being attacked mm. um, by disappointment and shame and fear and, you know, disillusionment, resentment, all these mm. things were coming at me. And the truth was, I could not walk away from this situation. Mm. This, this was where I lived. My son had mental illness. I needed to take care of him. Um, you know, his life depended on how well we did this. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't escape from that. And do I believe that God could have just healed him and delivered us from? Yes. But what he asked me to do instead is rest in the middle. Wow. To, to find him wow. or let him actually find me hmm. in the middle. Um, can, can God minister to me while I'm surrounded by these beasts can he be my defense because i can't fight these things off on my own yeah you know these this yeah. is too big for me yeah um so so that's really that's where the 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 title of the book came from that you can live among among lions and still have rest and peace um and strength right there even yeah. while you're still in that were there practical things that you did when you were feeling attacked, you know, cause I'm sure people listening to this are like, okay, that's great. I'd love to have that. Like, what do I do? You know, like <laughs> what sure. are the steps, you know? And I know sometimes there are steps and other times there's just the surrender of, I think you said something really interesting. Like that was your reality. And I think a lot of times we add so much extra stress when we fight against our realities. Like, you know what I'm saying? And yeah. you could have fought against your reality. And I'm sure at times you probably did or were tempted to, but you had to just get comfortable and accept and surrender to this is my reality. Um, but were there other practical things that you did in order to, okay, my soul has to rest here. Like, this is it. Like, what were some of those things? Um, you know, one of the examples that I use in the book is the idea of defeat being um, like a crocodile, you know, mm -hmm. it comes, comes after you. So the best thing to do is to stay away from the water. You know? Yeah. No, don't don't let yourself tiptoe up to that edge. But if you but if you find yourself, um, actually, I don't know if it's crocodile, alligator. Um, if you find yourself um, in the clutches, there are a couple things you can do. You know, you can jab, jab at the eyes, or you, but if it drags you underwater, what they say 
is, yeah, I, I read up on all this. You, I love it. You actually like hug it, you grab it because it will try to roll you and maybe tear off your arms so that you bleed or, but if you hug it and roll with it, then eventually you might get another chance to, you know, jab its eyes or its palatal yeah, valve, yeah. you know, different things. And so there's a, di- you know, you, you mentioned the word surrender. There's a difference between defeat and surrender. And mm-hmm. so how do you do that? Like, what is the practice? How do you surrender instead of just go down defeated? Yeah. Um, the, some of them are like the things that you read in every magazine. You need enough sleep. Yeah. You need to exercise. Mm-hmm. You need to nourish your body with good foods. Um, but if you do a little comfort eating once in a while, you need to not beat yourself up for those 100%, things. hundred percent. hundred percent. So, so just like the, the basics of taking care of your physical body, your mind and your emotions and your body are connected. And yeah. so you need to, you need to take care of those things. Um, a lot of it though, is a mindset change. Mm. Do I look at myself and see a person that is precious, mm. just as precious as my child is? Mm. And am I willing to, to allow myself to be ministered to? Mm. Am I willing to make a phone call and said, Hey, I am so overwhelmed. Would you come over and just be with me while I clean my kitchen? You know, maybe you can wash the dishes and we can talk and, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, you know, at, so asking for help, um, trying to snatch little things that, that make you feel like yourself, mm. like read, read your favorite book from when you were a kid yeah, or yeah. do a hobby for 10 minutes that you like, yeah. that reminds you, well, I'm, I'm a person, yes. you know, I'm not just this role, but you know, I, yes. I'm a person. Um, so all those little things the, the, the book has a bunch of like lists that okay. I think just practical things that, that you can do. One of the things that really helped me was having preparation in place. Mm-hmm. So for example, I always had a backpack okay. ready to go. Okay. Um, if we needed to go to the emergency room and then to the hospital that was ready to go, it had some toiletries and change of clothes. And um, if I, if I knew that Nicholas was going inpatient for a while, I had a, a box that was my hotel box mm-hmm. <laughs> and it had like some tea and my favorite mug and pajamas and, you know, things like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so having those things ahead of time, it just gave me so much peace of mind yes, knowing that yes. I could, because it made, because in the moment when the crisis was happening and my heart rate was going up and, you know, you know, this was, this was what we were going to do today. Yeah. It made me feel like, um, like it's okay. I'm, I've taken care of this. Um, I, I know I can do this because I've already thought this through. Yeah. Uh, you know, it gives you kind of a, a minute of calm yes. while you do that. And it, it, it's just another way of being kind to yourself. Well, and I think that's um, huge, And right? I'm not a naturally very ordered person. So, yeah. this, you know, who's a little outside my, outside my zone, but. Well, and it's finding, I think it's even being in control of the things you can be in control of, you know, um, so much of your life was out of control. So it's like, okay, these few things I can take control of. And um, I, I know, you know, some of the people I've interviewed, do you know, Dina Yoy? Um, yes. Okay. He wrote the forward to my book. Okay. I love that. And and she wrote, yeah. um, you know, you're not alone parenting troubled kids. And I'd interviewed her months ago. One of the things she had talked about, um, about when her daughter, you know, Renee was really struggling was she had asked her daughter, you know, what can I do to help you? And expecting Renee to be like, okay, 
here's a list of things that I need you to do for me, you know, or these right. are the list of things I need you to change. But Renee looked at her and she said, mom, I need you to take care of yourself because if, you know, I know you're okay, I'm not carrying that guilt and that shame that I'm, you know, ruining you, you know, I want to have the confidence that you're okay. And then I'll be able to get okay. And I, I've never forgotten that. I thought it was so powerful just, and, and I think, you know, recently too, I've had a lot of, um, spouses reach out to me there, you know, about, you know, my spouses, you know, I had to put them back into rehab or, you know, they're self-harming or what do I do? And, you know, a lot of what I say is like, first of all, get a community because you're going to need, you know, it's going to take a village as Hillary Clinton said, um, not just to raise your kids, but to support you as you're walking through this with your husband or your wife or whatever. And, um, so you need community and then, um, you know, you need to do what you need to do to take care of yourself, whether that's you getting into therapy or what you said, working out, you know, um, enjoying certain things, just reminding yourself that you are still a human and a person, even though you're also right now a caregiver, but that's not all you are. So I think that's so um, in court, important, so powerful. So I just have like two more questions for you and then we'll sign off here. But um, the first is, you know, for the parents who feel like you know, and you said that initially, like, this is just a season with Nicholas, you know, we're in middle school, you know, this will pass. At what point should a parent start to realize like, okay, this isn't just a season <laughs> and to stop blaming the, this is a season thing. And I think I've got on top of that, you know, how do they get past the embarrassment and the shame? Cause when it's a child, you know, you do feel like this is on you, you know? And so how do you get past the embarrassment and shame to be like, okay, I'm going to seek help. And I don't care whether it ends up being my fault or not my fault or whatever people think, you know, so how do you get to the point where this is not just a season? And then how do you talk yourself out of the shame and the embarrassment to get the help your kid needs? It can be very tempted to, um, to minimize what your gut is telling you about your kid um, and so I would say, first of all, if you sense that there's something going on with your kid, just ask, just do it. You know, there, there's the, the typical thing is, I, you know, I don't want to give them any ideas. You're not going to give them ideas, yes. especially with suicide. Just ask if they have the ideas already, you didn't put them there. And if they don't, they'll say, no, I'm not thinking about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, you're, you can't make someone suicidal by bringing it up. Um, for Nicholas, the first thing that we found out about was the self-harm mm. and it really came, it really was, you know, it was intuition, you know, and I also believe that, um, that God, um, kind of opened my eyes one night. He was in trouble one night. Okay. He hadn't done his math and, yeah. and we were getting ready to ream him out about not doing his math. And I just looked at him and I knew there was something else. Like yeah. I, I just knew it. I knew yeah. there was something else. Um, and, and so we sat him down and asked, you know, at first I said, is there something that you want us to know? Wow. And he said, yes, mm. but it was almost like he couldn't speak after that. He like something had him by the throat and and eventually what I did is I started just asking him questions. I said, can you nod yes or shake your head for now? And, and I asked him everything, you know, and, you know, in the middle, you know, just reassuring him, whatever it is, you know, we, we love you. It's okay. You can tell us anything that it is. 
And for some reason, like pretty far, I mean, I went from everything like, do you hate homeschooling <laughs> and you don't want to tell me or, you know, yeah, like, yeah. Costumes, like silly things like that. Then like, you know, big, bigger things. And I finally hit on, are you cutting? And I don't even know why I asked that because yeah. like you were referencing before, I thought that was a female thing. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that boys did that. I, it was so like, I was so naive and stereotyped in my thinking. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and he nodded. Yes. And I was like, wow. Okay. I don't know where to go from face. here. Yeah. What, what, how did you respond? You didn't. Um, uh, well, I would say I probably did not keep a poker face. I, I learned how to, um, how to develop a clinical mode for his benefit later, <laughs> but yes, probably yes. that night I was a little bit more reactive. Yeah. Yeah. Reactive than I ought to have been. Um, why, why would you do that? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Okay. Um, well, you just made a ton of parents feel very normal that you had that yeah. moment. And I think kids no, it, understand. That takes practice. Yeah. You know what? You were asking practical things. It's good to know that you you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Like I did not know what was the best way to to work with him when he was in a crisis himself. Mm. And so, but that's something that parents need to know. You can learn these skills. Mm. You can learn how to develop a clinical mode so that um, you're not um, you're not invalidating or you're not yeah. um, you know raising the, the heat right. higher in the yeah, crisis. Yeah. You know, you can you can learn those skills. Yeah. Um, so I forget what the actual question was. No, you answered that, <laughs> and going. I think the other thing was um, like getting okay. the help. You know, like yes. how do you you know how do you work past the the shame, the embarrassment, the guilt? to get the help you know you need to get. Because I think sometimes well, we, parents ride the, this is just a phase because they're embarrassed, you know? Yeah, yeah. Or they're worried that they're going to be judged in some yeah. way. Um, we went to our family doctor who luckily we had a, a very strong relationship. I mean, she had delivered my children, you know, it, okay. it had been this long. Um, but not everybody has that kind of relationship with with their healthcare providers. Um, a lot of people go to their pastor and I, this is kind of a bandwagon that, um, that I'm on that it's important that pastors at least know their local resources because yeah, I'm glad you're going so in many, that direction. Yep. So many people go to Why? their pastor and their pastors are not prepared. They're not, yes. They're not. Thank yes. you. <laughs> yeah. I, and I am a pastor, right? My husband and I are pastors and I can't beat this dead horse enough. And, and I have several conversations. I don't know if you listened to my conversation with Emily Vasquez and her husband, Emmy, but pastors are not trained to deal with trauma, mental illness, mental, you know, they're not. And I, if you are a pastor listening to this, I am pleading with you to know your own limits. If you do not have a psychology degree, do not like try to counsel someone who is yes. in the midst of something like this, get them help elsewhere. Um, Yes, yes, yes. Thank you for saying yeah. that. Yeah. So, I mean, one of my goals at my church, and um, and they're working in this direction, which is awesome, is to just develop a, um, like, even just a network list. Yep. Like, you know, who, who are the families who um, who are willing to talk to other yes. families? Yes. Who are the local care providers? Who has openings? Because sometimes the information is out of date. You yeah. know, do you know the, the suicide hotline? The, yeah. You know, those yeah, kinds yeah. of things. You know, I, just basic 
um, information for for pastors so that they're they're not. We developed that, you know, after my brother committed suicide. Um, uh, two months later, one of my really good friend's daughters committed suicide, and so mm-hmm. we started the um, Chamberlain Garland um, Counseling Fund. And I mean, we got thousands, people gave thousands upon thousands of dollars. And so then we have a resource on our website where people can go and apply for, you know, financial aid and also mm-hmm. get a list of counselors. Right now, one of the troubling things is, I mean, it's good and bad. I, I told my husband, and I've told several people this, I'm like, if people would have gotten into counseling when I told them to get into counseling years ago, they'd all be in counseling. The problem is everybody has waited. Now everyone's like, I need to get into counseling and counselors, they have no openings. Because yeah. everyone's, you know what I'm saying? And so there's a lot and it's of wait lists. particularly difficult for pediatric and teen yes. um, mental health care providers. Um, pediatric psychiatrists are few and far between. Um, there are whole, you know, like deserts in, you know, in the country where you can't get to one, you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're just oh. not available. And then the therapists that will work with that population, it's very difficult. It's very yeah. difficult. Yeah. Well, um, Kirsten, do you have a website for people that they can connect with you and, you know, maybe get more resources and maybe as they've listened to this, if they're like, man, I just want to, you know, email her and where, where can they go to find you on the interwebs? <laughs> it's kirstenp.com. Okay. Awesome. Oh, and I will link that to this, um, as well and your social media handles so people can find you, um, leave us with hope. Kirsten, what is you know, has Jesus maybe not to get too ethereal, but has Jesus maybe put something on your heart to be like, this is the last thing I want to say to the listeners. This is something I really want them to know. I really want parents to know that God cares about Mm. them, Mm. about their souls, about how they are doing and that it is possible to be in the middle of a situation you cannot escape and to not be shattered beyond fixing that God, God will take your piece. Even if you've fallen apart, God will take your pieces and hold them gently in his hand. And, um, Hmm. and he never lets us down. He Hmm. just doesn't. He will sit with us there in the middle, shield us from what we're supposed to be shielded from strengthen us for what we're supposed to do and, and take care of our souls for, for us. I love that. Kirsten, thank you so much. I know this has probably been, it's been hard to, not in a bad way, but, you know, as someone who has walked through this, like just to feel, you know, it's been, it's to feel the pain, but also to sense the hope in the midst of it. And so I appreciate you like walking us through the story, but also giving us hope to know, you know, we aren't alone. Um, So guys, make sure you find her online, Kirsten P., com. I will link everything, grab her book among lions. Um, and then as always head over to my resource page at nicolegolden.org. Um, I'll have all of Kirsten's stuff there as well, but, um, we're so thankful Kirsten for you joining us and guys, listeners, we will see you next time on scar stories. Have a great day. Thank you so much for tuning into scar stories podcast. We all need places where we can feel seen, be safe, find connection and resources. I would love to connect with you on social media at at Nicole Faye Golden. I also have a website with a ton of resources and a free seven-day praying scared prayer journal at NicoleGolden.org. Thank you for tuning in. I'd love it if you shared this with your friends and if you left a rating and a comment. And I look forward to seeing you next time as we delve into mental health, 
parenting, family, and so many other issues with a lot of my friends. We'll see you soon.